Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. I'm excited this morning that you're going to get to hear from one of my dearest friends who loves me and loves this church well. Uh, Dr. Keith Rose has been a real fighter at Rock City Church, but also a fighter for our city and for our nation. He cares deeply. He loves Jesus deeply. And every time I sit and we talk and I listen to him, I think to myself, man, you got to share that with the church. And so today you're going to get to hear from my dear friend, and let's welcome him, Dr. Keith Rose. When David asked me to talk, I was my usual excited self and said no. Um, but you know how David is. He gets all excited. Yeah! You know, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll talk. Just shh, shh, be quiet. We're different personalities. And I could not love this man more because this man has really spoken into my life. And he's done something else. He's brought men into my life that I'm very grateful for. I call them my wise men. You see, when you have a good pastor, like we do, it's not all about him. It's about how he sees Christ in you and develops Christ in you. And the only way he does that, he's not that great. It's Christ in him that's that's developing Christ in us. It's what's brought me great friends. Have you ever been in a group of people and you just felt attracted to someone? And I'm not talking physically. I'm not talking to the club. I'm just talking you're in a group and you realize, gosh, there's just something that, that clicks. I've just experienced this phenomenon in the past several years because I became a dead man walking. I mean, I killed, I died a lot. I continually die. And the more I die to myself, the more excited I get because I realize what a tool I was and how awesome Christ is. And when I do that, though, here's the problem you're going to have. There are going to be times when you die to yourself and you really want to see through Christ's eyes that you're going to see through Christ's eyes and you may not like what you see. You may see suffering. You may see tragedy. You may see joy. The difference is you won't be overwhelmed by any of it. You may have a burden to move, but it's not going to take your breath away. And I think a lot of us need to go to a funeral, a funeral of ourselves. And it's a hard concept. And I was talking to Prophet Kevin, and you guys know Prophet Kevin, and I'm trying to explain my bizarre thought process to him. And he's like, stop, stop, make it simple, big letters, you know, and I'm like, okay, so I have to go back. He's like, make it simple. Don't overwhelm people. And I'm like, okay, okay. And as I did that, I, I just realized there's experiences in my life that might make some sense to you today. There's experiences, there's a lot of things in the Bible that will make sense to you today, but it won't make sense to you if you look at it through your own eyes. I sat in the church for 43 years, most Sundays, and learned nothing. Less than nothing. I heard wonderful sermons. I heard amazing sermons. My father is a rock star minister. Not rock star is like he's got the big mega church and, you know, the shiny teeth thing. But he's just a great minister. He loves the Lord. And you know what? His teaching is lived out in his life every day with my mom. I saw it. And I was blind. 
I was blind because I was alive. Me and me. Just ask me. I'll be glad to tell you. And it drove my whole life. I knew who Jesus was. Who saw Talladega Nights? And I'm sorry, do I go to hell for saying that movie in church? Okay. (laughs) He talks about little baby Jesus. He's praying, dear little Jesus, little seven pounds, six ounce, little baby Jesus. And the world wants us to see little baby Jesus. We as a church have changed Jesus from Christ incarnate, the atonement, the son of God, to a snow globe. Look at little Jesus. It's Christmas. Put Jesus on the manger. Ah, little Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, our lives are either thank you or God help me. And there's nothing in between. Now, (laughs) I grew up amazing house. Not a lot of money, tons of love. I didn't know we didn't have money because my parents loved me. They loved me enough not to give me everything I asked for. And pretty much they loved me enough not to give me anything I asked for. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you something today. I'm going to tell you a lot of things today, and they may not be comfortable to you. My dad told me a lot of things growing up I did not like. And I thank God he told them to me. I'm a surgeon, and I've been around death my entire life from an early age. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's what we say it is what it is. And God had a crazy sense of humor and took me out of after my residency and said, hey, I got a great idea. Why don't you just, you know, go around the world, work for the government, find people. Now, God didn't say that to me. I said that to me. The government said that to me. Now, I was a Christian, okay? I was saved. I made the conscious decision. I knew who God was. The only problem is, I also knew who I was, and me was a lot, you know. You're going to, look, the law that God gives us, there's only two ways to deal with it. You're either going to follow yourself or you're going to follow Christ. There's no other way. It's like the law of economics. You can't give anyone to someone, anything to someone that you don't take from another person. It's just the laws. There are certain laws in physics. You know, what goes up must come down. Most of the time, unless you're in space. But it's... These are immutable laws, but that, this law I want to talk to you about today, about Christ realization, is if you realize who Christ is, and more importantly, who you're not, and when I mean who you're not, you got to die. And I'm going to be candid with you, it sucks at first. Because you kind of want to go, I died, I didn't die, I died, I didn't die. Well, you really can't do that. <laughs> like I, I started out, I was trained at Parkland Hospital. I did my general surgery and my plastic surgery there. But when I was a general surgery resident back in the day in 1992, Parkland Hospital was one of the primary trauma hubs in the world. My first night as a doctor, doctor day three, right? I had my MD for three days. I show up, you know, and the first night I'm on call is a Saturday night, July 3rd, Parkland Hospital. And... (laughs) And one of the residents, the very first day when they were orienting, here's our resident orientation. Chief resident walks in. We didn't have staff. Staff were taking care of rats or something. And the chief resident walks in and he goes, listen up, see one, do one, teach one. Now get to work. That was our whole orientation. That was Parkland Hospital. 
because the lines were long where the burgers were free. It was the county hospital in Dallas, and we, had, we were busy. And so that first night, I had 26 gunshot wounds come in that I was on call. I was covered. There wasn't a part of me that didn't have blood on it. There were no universal precautions back then. Okay, they were just all hands on deck. There probably were. We were just too tired to care. And I remember one guy coming in, and he was a wild man. He had had previous trauma laparotomy scars. When we do a trauma zipper, it means we cut you from stem to stern, we roll your bowel, we fix all the gunshot wounds, we put you back together, give you a colostomy, whatever, you go back to life. This guy was a repeat customer. He was a frequent flyer. And he came in, he had tats up his arms, down his arms, he had the, the tears, he had the spider webs. I mean, this guy was closest thing to MS-13 you'd ever see. And he was threatening everybody in the hospital. They brought him in, handcuffed to the stretcher. Cops are busy too, they just leave. Tell you how bad Parkland was, we had two shootings in the ER while I was there as a resident my first two years. And they had metal detectors. These shootings happened when they took the cop's gun in the ER. So it's a pretty rough place. So this guy's on, he's spitting at everyone. Problem is, he's bleeding to death. And the nurses are like, uh, they don't pay me enough for this. I'm not going in there. He's telling everyone he's going to kill them and stuff. And I'm the intern on trauma hall. Now, the third year ran the service, but we had a fifth year. He was like our staff. And my fifth year, and the names will be changed to protect the innocent, is a guy by, I call Big Mike. He was a former football player at the University of Miami. Now, I had played at Baylor. So Mike and I had kind of a connection. He was a big guy, he was bigger than me, he was 6'6". And I called Big Mike, I said, Big Mike, I got this guy down here on the stretcher, I need, you, I need your help. He's like, okay, Keith, I'll be down there in just a second. Big Mike came from Cuba. His family came over literally on a raft from Cuba to live the American dream. So Big Mike, and he played at University of Miami, he's a fifth year trauma resident, uh, uh, surgery resident at Parkland Hospital. These guys walked on water to us. I mean, they had seen everything. So in my little eyes, Big Mike was kind of like the surgical guide of Parkland Hospital. And Big Mike comes down, and it, first of all, I feel terrible, because you never want to wake your fifth year up. I mean, it's a sign of weakness, you know? Cause, and I go, Big Mike, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what to do. This guy won't let anyone near him. I'm afraid he's going to bleed to death. And he goes, it's okay, Keith, I've seen this before. No problem. So Big Mike walks in, and the guy's impressive. But this guy on the thing's big too, and he's cussing and yelling at him, he's chained to the stretcher. Mike doesn't even notice him. He just walks around behind the stretcher, goes to what we call the crash cart. And he gets a vial out, draws up some medicine in it, comes in behind the guy, grabs his IV, because paramedics had started one, and injected this substance. This substance is called succinylcholine. It's a paralytic. It acts in 30 seconds. And in 30 seconds, your whole body doesn't move. <laughs> but your mind does. You understand everything. You can do nothing about it. <laughs> Muscles are important for breathing. So he hits this guy. He walks over and he goes, okay, watch this. And he, Mike was colorful. I'm not going to use the language. Watch this guy. He didn't say that. He goes, watch. He's going to shake. And you shake, you fasciculate when it works. He goes, now look, he can't move. And Mike walks up and he goes, Keith, come here. You'll see this guy? Bad life choices. And this is a Hispanic guy. You go, his, his dark, but uh, he's turning a pretty cool shade of blue. I think he looks like a Smurf. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Dr. Day three, I'm killing a man right here in Parkland Hospital. You know, these guys are going to die. This guy's going to die. 
And Mike watches him, and this guy looked like he went from Smurf to almost like purple. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please. And I'm praying now because it's just that, oh, Jesus moment. Jesus, please don't let this guy die. Please don't let this guy die. God's probably laughing going, oh, really? You're going to talk to me now? And so then Mike walks over, gets the Ambu bag, hooks it up to oxygen, puts it on this guy's mouth and breathes for him. And he pinks up. And he leans down into this guy's ear and he says, you know, people die in Parkland every day and no one cares. He turned to me, he goes, bag him up. This stuff wears off in five minutes. He's going to be the best patient you ever had. And he was the best patient we ever had. Because we killed him. He died, literally. But he didn't. He was aware. But a part of him died. I literally got a call from the nurses in the ICU because they had had this guy before. They're like, what did you do to this guy? I mean, did he have a religious experience? And I go, no, Big Mike. And they're like, oh, okay. Everyone knew. <laughs> Big Mike was like the succinylcholine god of the Parkland Hospital. But he, this guy had felt, he actually tasted death. And he knew it didn't matter. And it changed him. And I'm going to tell you, if you die to yourself, it's the only way you're going to see God. You're not going to see many whales. God's not a snow globe. And in the church right now, God's not that cool package. Anyone with kids knows day before Christmas, Christmas Eve, you're putting stuff together. The package is 10 times more complicated than the actual thing. You dig through this amazing package and you get to the gift, you know, whatever, you know. I mean, you get a little set of earbuds. It's the coolest packaging you've ever seen. We've become that as the church. We're packaging everything so cool. This is the best ever. And we get in there, earbuds. Because we're not dying to ourselves. Think about this. We live in a country that is founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Read about it. Understand it. The Bible says, do not forsake the meetings of yourself. They use the word ekklesia in Greek. The word ekklesia in Greek is a meeting place. Look it up. But not any meeting place. It is the public meeting place where everyone gathered for political discussion. And Christ says, and God said, do not forsake the meeting of yourself, ekklesia. And here in the United States of America, we as a church have moved out of the meeting place and into these beautiful buildings, these great packages. Alive to us, but a lot of times dead to Christ. And he can't use you. You're useless. You're a guy flopping on a table that I'll just paralyze to get him to behave. And Satan knows that. He'll let us have our beautiful churches. He will let us have a mega church. He'll let us have a small church. He'll let us have any church we want. As long as we stay in our lane. Why is it right now that the United States of America, we're sending missionaries around the world to tell people about Christ? When in our own nation, we kill 90 million babies a year? But I don't want to get political. It's, 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 religion is personal. It's between me and God. You better tell God that. We have a nation that has become self-realization and gotten away from Christ's realization and it will fail. It's either going to die, God's going to come back, or it's going to change. It's going to be reborn again. It happened once before. It happened before the founding. 
guy named George Whitfield, little old guy from England, came over here and started preaching. That guy could preach. They say you could hear him from miles away. Even Benjamin Franklin donated into the plate, and he was supposed to be real tight. You know, I mean, I was reading about that. I was like, really? But the thing is this. The colonists knew they had to die to themselves. This is not about the founding. This is about 2021. This is about a nation that has been shaken by a virus. And look, I'm going to be really honest with you today. As a surgeon, I tell you, I may hurt you, but I won't harm you. Sometimes I got to break something to fix it, especially if it healed wrong. Sometimes I have to break things to fix it. Maybe you were born wrong. Doesn't matter. What I want to help you understand is Christ realization today and to be a dead man walking. And the way you do that, you got to start out with, I think one of the best script verses on the planet in Matthew, you can put it up 16, 24, and 25. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, this is where Kevin's going to beat me over the head. That's too deep for them. It's not. I'm going to make it real simple. You need to die, and Christ needs to live. You know the ancient Indian proverb where the chief is, has a young Indian walks up to him, and the chief talking about the two wolves. One is big and evil and tears up everything, and the other's good and protects the village. And the little boy goes, which one lives? And the chief says, the one you feed. It's the same thing in our spiritual, that's just a, like a parable, but in our lives, you feed yourself you'll live to you. And you'll live a hell on earth. Trust me, I'm a living example of that. You don't feed yourself. You die to yourself. You live to Christ. You're going to have a life you can't imagine. Now, the way you get there, it's fun. I used to always go hear sermons, and a lot of times you hear, oh, I got to do that. That's impossible. How do I do that? So I wanted to make it simple. Five R's. First R is recognize. You got to recognize you need God. If you don't recognize you need God, cool. You'll hear, you'll get motivated. You'll walk out with a motivational message and then you'll go back to being the same person. The same problems, the same fears, the same anxieties. The same world. But if you recognize, and as Pastor David and Prophet Kevin like to say, it's either situation or revelation. I was situation, very painful. I pray that you get revelation. It's easier when you learn this younger, but you're going to learn it one way or another. And when you do that, it changes everything. And the biggest hindrance to recognizing something is you. You got to become a dead man walking. You got to kill pride. Because all of us think we know people, right? We think, oh, we know, but you don't know me. We always say that, right? How many times have you talked? Oh, you don't know me. You're right, I don't. God does. And you do. And if you want something to disappear, I like to call this, Oswald Chambers talks about the surgery of events. It's the eternal reality of God that will shake the living nonsense out of you. And you'll go, I need God. So then where do you go from there? You got to die. You got to go to repentance. And what is repentance? Repentance means... Jesus, I'm sorry. I confess my sins. I, I thought that for a long time. Now, I was taught different. I was taught correctly. I didn't hear it. 
How many of you have kids? How many believe your kids hear you, but they don't listen? Mm -hmm. I hear you, Dad, but they're going to go do the same thing. They don't listen. God calls us to listen. Because repentance means I'm so sorry about the thing I'm doing, I become the opposite of it. I don't use repentance as a moral washroom, or I like to use the word lavatory. I spend my life working overseas, in overseas England and all over Europe and Southeast Asia. They call it the lavatory. And that's where you wash your hands, right? The sink, bathroom. So we as Christians like to use sin as, you know, it's a moral repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to go wash my hands. I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. Go out, get my hands really dirty again. Come back in. Oh, Lord, I'm really sorry. I got to wash my hands. We use it as a moral lavatory. That's not what it's about. Repentance is turning away from it. It doesn't mean you're not going to have issues and problems and, and have to continually die to yourself. But as you die to yourself, you're going to visit that sink less and less because you're going to become the opposite of what you were. And anyone that knew me 20 years ago that would be sitting here today would be either passed out or laughing because they would not recognize me because I don't exist. That's a good thing. Trust me. After you understand and you go to repentance, you understand the cross, you go to reconciliation. That's atonement. That's a big word. You've heard atonement. Sounds cool, right? I have atonement. Not really sure what it is, but I got atonement. Let me just say, the word is simple. If you want to go to the Webster Dictionary, it says it's amends or reparation made for an injury or wrong. And then secondarily, it says an individual's reconciliation with God by means of repentance and confession for one's transgressions. What atonement is, make it simple. It's the cross. It was an even trade. The son of God for us, born in sin. And what do I do with that? What do I do with that atonement? I mean, do I just look at the cross and think, ah, oh, it's a cross. I wear one around my neck. Got one on my license plate. Put it on my back. What does the cross mean to you? Because all of heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All of hell is terrified of it. Yet, here, in, as men, we more or less just ignore its meaning and make it a symbol. And I'm here to tell you, the cross is not a symbol. If you're going to be a dead man walking, you're going to understand what the cross is. The cross is a reality. It's real. It's the only reason I'm here today, and probably the only reason a lot of people are here today if you knew my past. You cannot believe in the word of God and the teachings of Jesus unless you believe in the cross. They coexist. They're not individual. You've heard about the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is he that does this and does that. And I got to tell you, when I would hear that as a young man, I had a little issue with it. I had an issue when I was an older man because my job was to find people. It was either the best day of your life or the last day of your life, depending on who you were. And so when I read the Beatitudes, I couldn't live up to that because I was alive to me and dead to Christ. But the teachings of Christ were not a set of ideals. They were a statement of how I should live. 
and the Sermon on the Mount, you're either going to understand it or you won't. Because if you think it's just a good idea, you can't live up to it. Because I thought, ah, oh, Sermon on the Mount, that's awesome. Not for me, because you don't know me. But if Christ was simply just a teacher and he gave you the Sermon on your Mount, I'm just increasing your capacity for a hell on earth because you can't live up to that. It's a simple thing. You can't live up, you can't live up to any of the teachings of Christ, but he can in you. The world's changed. It's changed in a year and a half. If you were on a desert island and you came back to this and you were two years off and you came back to the United States, would you recognize it today? Mass, lockdowns, barbed wire in Washington, D.C. How do you discern truth? It's tough. But not if you're a dead man walking. God came, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. That truth that lives in you is Christ, but the only way you get there is to realize who God is. And the Bible's gonna talk about it over and over again. It's gonna have parables. And you know when you're gonna start understanding God's word? When you're a dead man walking. The, re the way the Bible gets real exciting, the way you'll know that Christ is moving in your life and you're dying to yourself over and over again is the Bible's gonna become really interesting and you're not gonna be able to get enough because the Bible is the word of God talking to the nature of God in you. He can't talk to you when you, you won't understand it. It's just a good story. Like the one I told you about Parkland. I could tell you a thousand stories about my life. They won't mean anything. Paul didn't come to preach stories. He came to preach Christ and Christ alone. And the danger we have right now is to water down God's word and suit it to fit me. We've done that as a church. I mean, we've got these pastors and God bless them. They're out there. They've got these big and little churches and they come out and they do baby basically a spiritual TED talk with an invitation at the end, but they're suiting God's words to fit because they don't want to lose, you know, I've got to have attendance, right? God never fits his word to suit me. Christ in me fits me to suit his word. It's the only way to do it. We can't do it ourselves. This world is overwhelming if I look at it now. And it's ridiculously simple when God looks at it. So you have to let, look through his eyes and not your own. And you do that because you recognize, you repent, you reconcile, and then you regenerate through redemption. Because Christ can put in anyone. You want to understand true equality? Because I'm going to just tell you straight up. This probably, I don't care if it offends anyone because I'm going to tell you what God tells me to say. There is equality in the entire world. We all have equal access to Jesus Christ. And that's the highest level. When I walk in, I, I will tell you, I didn't grow up racist or understanding racism because my father was a pastor of an interracial church. So I was colorblind. But it wasn't that I was colorblind. I never really cared. I just cared about that connection. And as I've gotten older, that connection is spiritual. 
I have my brothers in Christ. God does not call brothers as the darker of the Christians. Those aren't the brothers. We're the brothers in Christ. You may be dark, you may be light, you may be male, you may be female. There's only two genders, sorry to break it to you. But there is, there is a peace with my brothers in Christ because Christ is in me and I'm talking to Christ in them. But if I'm realizing myself, or if I'm double-minded and getting blown around inside my own body, then there may be a communication gap. You kind of become the Tower of Babel as a church. Because if you don't put, and listen, this is, this is about the simplest way I can say this. If you don't put to death the things in your life that are not from Christ, if you don't kill them, and I know a lot about killing then the things in your life that aren't from Christ will unequivocally put to death the things in your life that are from Christ. Because you can't serve two masters. And it's a continual process. Die, die, die. But you know what's in between the dying? Glory. Die, glory, die, glory. It's awesome. I'm living proof of this. It is so cool watching God work. The key is you get to watch God work. He'll use you if you want to watch him work. But you won't get to take the credit for it. You just get to watch. It's much cooler to be a spectator, by the way. So let, we have to go through regeneration. We have to go through redemption. You'll know someone who's had redemption, who actually has Christ in his life, because you'll see a strong family resemblance. You know, you have kids and they go, oh, he looks just like, you know, my son, he looks like me or my daughter, she looks just like her mom or whatever. As Christians, do we look like God? Would people, if you pulled them away, go, who does he resemble to you? Does he resemble God? And let me tell you, we're not born resembling God. I'm going to break something to you. We're not good people. Who thinks we're born good? Anyone? Do you think we're born good? Because if we are, why do we have to be born again? We have to die to ourselves. And I'm sorry, it's a simple concept. Die to you and live to Christ. If we talk about God and we tell others about Jesus, and we preach the right thing, but we don't live it. We're an untruth. We're hypocrites, right? We're just living in ourselves. How many of us use but theology? Oh, I, I, I like church, but you don't know what they did to me. Or, oh, I, I believe in Jesus. I know he died for me. I have, I'm a Christian, but you don't know me. Anyone that uses butt theology kind of ends up being a spiritual ass. I don't know if I can say that, but it just kind of feels that way. Because I was the king of butt theology, not in a good way. Oh, I believe in God, but I have a mission. I'm doing this for the greater good. Who's greater good, mine or the kingdom? We tend to cloak our actions in our desires instead of our purpose. If you're in your purpose, 
I will tell you something. Big secret that you will come to understand if you follow Christ and die to yourself. His purpose is your wildest desire. He programmed you that way. And he will give you the desires of your heart once you are in your purpose, once you die to self and are alive to Christ. I read a lot of Oswald Chambers. I'm not going to bore you with who he is. He's a guy that's a pastor in England, but he's a pretty interesting guy. And he says, seeing is never believing. We interpret things in the light of what we believe. And if you don't think that, look at where we are today. We've got a schism, a chasm, a complete fracture in this nation between two groups, more or less. It's being driven. And I don't care which side of the fence you're on because I'm on the side of the fence that says Christ and Christ alone. And Christ didn't have a deer on our by his name. The gift is for everyone. So why do we have people in ecclesia telling us that we can't love one another in their preaching? Hate, racism, man. I, I got to tell you, there is something I hate. I hate sin. I hate the devil. And a lot of times that made me hate myself. And it wasn't until I started to die and became that dead man walking that Christ in me could help me do the second thing he tells us, to love others as ourselves. He's telling us to love ourselves. Love the Lord first with all your heart and then love yourself. And a lot of us love the Lord and we hate ourselves. Now let me ask you a question. If you love Jesus with all your heart and hate yourself, Christ isn't in you. Because if you love yourself, what God's talking about is love Christ in you. Love yourself. That's who you are. Christ and Christ risen. You can love yourself. You can't love yourself from a world standpoint. You can love yourself from God's standpoint. Dead man walking. I'm dead. Christ in me. Christ says, love me. God, I love you. I love you so much that you are me now. I died to me. I gave you everything. Look, I, um, I've been in a lot of bad situations in my life. I've worked with teams, small teams. There's usually two to four of us. And the one thing you had to know about your team members are they had to take care of their responsibility. I would not go anywhere unless I knew this guy was squared away and literally would lay down his life for me. No matter what, he's going to hold his position because that's what a team does. If there's a vehicle, it's dismantled. We go back and we get our team members. We knew if we were in bad areas, no one was going to be left because we would come back and get them. I want you to know something. Christ is not leaving you. You left him. And he follows you. And if you stop long enough and just, I don't know, die, he'll jump right inside. And then you can love yourself. Because you're not loving you, but Christ in you. Because he makes you a new person. 2 Corinthians 4. Verse one, it says, therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in trickery nor distorting the word of God, but by the open proclamation of the truth, commending ourselves to every person's conscience 
in the sight of God. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, I got to tell you, my kids love the Avengers, right? My kids love superhero movies because they want to be the best. I'm totally into superheroes. Jesus Christ. I win. I'm sorry, when you get a job and you go and you give them something called the CV. My good friend John has lots of employees, hires people. It's an amazing guy. Someone goes work for him, he looks at their CV. He wants to know what they've done, what's their experience. Do you know what God's CV is? Two words. I am. He wins. He is. He doesn't have to say anything else. You know, he built everything. I remember the first time I bought a restaurant and I wasn't walking with the Lord and I used to love when people go, oh, this is a great restaurant. Whose is this? I used to go, oh, it's mine. Oh, I want to vomit when I say that. It's just <laughs> gross. But I built it. God built everything. He built this country. He built you. He built me. And the only thing he wants is to live in the thing that he built. Let him into your house. Quit living there by yourself. You're just renting. Trust me. You are not a permanent tenant. And unless you have the cornerstone, your foundation will crack and you will not make it. Christ in you. You know, it all is going to come down to self-realization or Christ-realization. You think back to Adam. Am I doing okay with time? I'm just, huh? Okay. Think back to Adam and I'll make this simple. When Adam was in the garden, was he self-conscious or God conscious. Christ, it wasn't God, Christ and Christ and God are the same. He was God conscious. At first, he was living rightly related to God. He was afraid of nothing. There were animals in the garden. There were all kinds of trees, things, everything. Adam didn't even wear clothes. Adam's like naked man walking around like everything's cool because he's communing with God. Then what happened? He was disobedient. The moment he became disobedient, what did he become? Self-aware. Self entered at that moment. When self comes in, God's not there. And Adam became afraid. And he realized he was naked. A lot of us, because of sin, we're self aware. But sin, left alone, is not wrongdoing, it's wrong being. And sin is not a defect. It's a defiance. You're saying, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. So if you think, I know I sinned, but I'm only human, sorry, not good enough. It's a defiance of God. And we detest our individual responsibility, right? We become self-conscious. And the Bible talks about all the time when we give up our self-responsibility, it's sin. And the disposition of sin severs our connection with God. And listen to this. 
And when that connection's severed, you don't even know you're sinning. We don't feel bad. We don't feel God. You know you're sinning. So I would tell you, don't be self-aware today. Be Christ-aware. God didn't just die for you. He traded places. That's the atonement. So let him come inside you. Let him come in and take control. Don't make Jesus that little snow globe, the guy you talk about once a week. Make him your life. And then the craziness of this world will make a whole lot more sense. Okay. If you don't know Christ today, or I'm gonna tell you something, if you do know Christ today, but you don't wanna let him be the boss, I'm gonna tell you something that's worse than not knowing Christ. Because you're just shacking up. If you don't know that, and you want clarity, you don't wanna have anxiety, you don't wanna worry, your kids are spinning out, your marriage is spinning out, you're spinning out. You're looking through the wrong eyes, you're looking through your eyes. Because what is so complicated to us, when we think nothing else can happen good or it can't be fixed, God looks at this and he says, you know what? It's ridiculously simple if you let me take it. And the only way you can do that is to die to yourself. Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for every person in here, God. Lord, I just pray that people understand Christ and Christ alone. It's not a story, it's not a parable, it's not a good idea, it's life. And it's life that only we can get when we die to ourselves and are alive to you. So today I pray we do that, Lord. I pray that a lot of death is going on in this room and at the same time, there are a lot of people being born again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com give.